What's up, everyone? Josh White here. Thank you for joining us today. And boy, do we have a special episode for you. We have the Honorable Alex Wagner, who was sworn in as Assistant Secretary of the Air Force on June 10th, 2022. Mr. Wagner is such a unique leader in our Air Force. His background is incredibly diverse. To speak with this leader for 45 minutes was such a pleasure, and I think you're going to really enjoy this rare and unique insight. The episode is titled Pioneering Progress, Exploring the Manpower and Reserve Affairs Portfolio with Pride Advocate Alex Wagner. And to celebrate Pride Month, this is the Herofront Pride Month special episode. In this episode, we explore the manpower and reserve affairs portfolio and its significance. Mr. Wagner provides insights into the role of a political appointee versus a military member within MR. He also sheds light on the relationship between MR and senior leaders as well as other air staff members. Understanding the importance of MR in supporting the nearly 700,000 airmen and guardians in the U.S. Air Force and U.S. Space Force is key to appreciating its critical role. We delve into the policies and initiatives that impact airmen and guardians. Mr. Wagner highlights some of the new policies aimed at supporting and enhancing the well-being of these dedicated individuals. And we also discuss what airmen and guardians should know about the MR portfolio and how it directly affects them. But we don't stop there. We then expand upon Mr. Wagner's journey to becoming the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. He shares his past roles and experiences, explaining how they have contributed to his current performance. Additionally, Mr. Wagner introduces best business practices that he brings to his position, emphasizing the importance of LGBTQ equality and inclusion. In the inspiring last segment of our convo, Mr. Wagner candidly shares his thoughts on being a gay man in his position. He reflects on the progress made towards the LGBTQ equality and the challenges that still lie ahead. Mr. Wagner's personal experiences add a unique perspective to his role as a leader and advocate. Team Hero Front wants to express a tremendous amount of gratitude to the Honorable Alex Wagner and his superb team for coordinating and sharing his time and insights. And with that, let's get after it. Josh, how you doing? Sir, I'm doing amazing, especially because I'm talking to you. This is incredible. Thank you so much for just first and foremost. I don't know who's behind me, uh, but it's not me. I mean, <laughs> I have my fourth Swiss Special Warfare Squadron uh, mug from That's the amazing up in Cavalier. Oh, but uh, I'd be that looks awesome. Oh, it was such a cool trip. I, I'll tell you all about it. All right. So. Ladies and gentlemen, very special episode for you today because we have the Honorable Alex Wagner, the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, also known as MR Affairs. And, you know, from what I read on you, uh, Mr. Wagner, you have oversight of nearly 700,000 airmen and guardians. So, 
you know, the decisions you make have a very large footprint. Uh, so I want to thank you for taking on that responsibility. I want to thank you for getting our backs. Um, and everything I read about you, I mean, you just had this amazing career uh, and experiences that I think you're just such a valued asset to have on our team. So I want to start with saying thank you for signing up for that position. And thank you for being on Hero Front this morning. How are you, sir? Oh my God, I'm great. I'm thrilled. I'm so excited uh, to be here and have this kind of conversation. I think it's going to be, we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm not uh, usually very shy. So I think we can have a really uh, engaging discussion. But I will say uh, it's not only those 700,000 airmen and guardians, which obviously include civilians, but I'm also responsible for all their dependents. And so I take that really seriously because I love kids. I'm an uncle. I've got five nieces and nephews. Uh, and anytime I go to an installation, uh, very high up on my list is visiting the CDC and the, the youth center so I could get to engage with kids and find out what's going right and uh, how we can do better. No, absolutely. That, that's our future. And, and, you know, that gives all those families, all those service members, that's their purpose that you're looking at, right? Like that's why that's the purpose they feel inside. So I love that, you know, you make that a part of your, your journey as well. All right, sir. So I start every podcast off with what I call the hero's gauntlet. They're like icebreaker questions, right? This is stuff that like most people wouldn't be able to ask you, right? Just, just real fun stuff. So I'm going to start with those three questions. So first question, you've been traveling and meeting airmen and guardians recently. What is one of your favorite moments on these trips? Oh my God, that's being like asking a parent to choose which of their children they like the best. And I just finished the final episode of Succession last night. So I won't give any spoilers, but I will say it's often a, a tough call. I, uh, I'll i tell you the most interesting experience and surprising one I had. I uh, went out with uh, SimSaf, uh, Chief Bass, to two bases in the northern tier, Malmstrom and Effie Warren. And, you know, she does this all the time. This is part of her job to go out there and engage airmen and find out what's working for them and how they how she can help make their lives better. And it's so inspirational being with her. She's become a confidant, a friend, a real partner in crime. And she's like, oh, I'm doing a town hall. You should come with me. And so we drove up at F.E. Warren, this winding path. And all of a sudden, I started to see cars on either side of the road. And then we got to the top of the hill, and there was a huge parking lot. And there must have been hundreds of cars in the parking lot. And I turned to her and I said, are all these people here for you? She's like, yeah, yeah, come on in, come on in. So we walked in <laughs> this airplane hangar, mm. and uh, they took us to a uh, conference room to, to prep. And while she got mic'd up and all the light, and uh, she said to me, are you ready for this? I said, Am I ready to sit and watch you? She's like, oh, no, I'm calling you up on stage. So we walk out and, you know, I used to be a law professor, so I'm not opposed. And I have a little bit of experience with public speaking, but that was 25 to 50. Um, I think the last time I spoke in front of a group of more than 100 might have been my high school graduation. <laughs> and so I it's been a hot minute. <laughs> oh, it's been a minute. <laughs> I look around and there must have been 3,000 airmen and civilians there, a long stage. 
She calls me up about 10 minutes into her speech and she's got a stump speech. She has points she wants to hit, messages she wants to deliver. And she says, I brought a special friend with me, Alex Wagner. He's the MR. I realize nobody in that room knows what that is unless they're Googling me on their phones in advance and then hands me the mic. And I felt <laughs> the same panic I felt <laughs> when I was 21 years old, I decided to do stand up at the improv in DC. Oh, wow. Very poorly. That's why I went into politics and law. Uh, <laughs> and then it's been and then it was just muscle memory. And it was great because in those town halls, you get to hear from people who are completely uninhibited, who have been given if there's good, strong leadership at the base, the green light to ask whatever questions are on their mind. And there was an airman first class who asked about the implications of TikTok. There were folks who asked about a whole host of other issues. And we were timing, Simsef and I had a bet how long it would take to get to the conversation about beards. Right. It almost didn't happen. Oh, wow. <laughs> there, so one brave soul raised right. his hand. <laughs> so uh, I'd say that was, to date, that was the most memorable because it was me doing something that I really uh, wasn't prepared for. Uh, but understood as a result of the experience uh, just how valuable a mechanism it is to get information without having to go through our normal process of filtering it up, 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 which also dulls it, uh, dulls it a bit. Uh, no, absolutely. So That's part of your purpose too, right? Like that, you got to see and feel that energy firsthand. I think that is so important for you to experience. So I'm so glad uh, that you got to go with with Chief Bass of all people uh, and have that experience and feel that energy and hear those questions straight from you know the Airmen and Guardians that uh, you serve essentially. So what an incredible experience. I walked out at, and the first thing I think I said was, uh, wow, I, I feel like I'm Beyonce up here. <laughs> You're part of the beehive now. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, sir. Doing great so far. Let's roll into the, the second question for the Heroes Gauntlet. And, and this one uh, I definitely am interested in. So I heard that you recently took the Air Force <laughs> PT test. First of all, is that mandatory for you or is that voluntary? So I've got a pretty large team uh, out at Andrews and Joint Base Andrews. And every month they, they have a practice uh, so they can prepare for when the official tests come in and they do it under real circumstances. And I think they jokingly invited me out because they heard I took up running during the pandemic for the first time. I'd never been much of a runner. And so I just needed a way to clear my head, listen to podcasts and get out of the house, especially once the weather got nice. And I think they invited me out as a joke, not thinking that I would accept. And I thought, wow, what a great way to understand what the PT test tests what it doesn't test, how people prepare for it, how I could prepare for it, because ultimately that's part of the larger manpower and reserve affairs mission. And uh, so I said, if you're gonna if you're gonna ask me to do it, I'm gonna sign up. Wow! So you actually went through the entire Air Force PT test. How how did you do on that? I'm just curious if you're willing to share. Yeah, well, uh, I. I am advantaged that it's based on age. And now that I'm, I'm, in, I'm in that same advantage, by the way. Right. <laughs> so being in my late, my later forties, uh, I, I am not competing with the 18, uh, the 18 year olds. I, I, I can't imagine, uh, scoring very well like that, but 
I had some practice in advance. And so I was able to score hundred percent on the plank, hundred percent pushups. And, uh, I got the mile and a half in just under 1130. So I think my final score was 97.5. Wow. That's incredible. Congre you know, you're one of the only people that probably voluntarily took that test. But hats off to you. You wanted to experience it firsthand. You wanted to well, see what it was like. And, and then you got a 97. That's amazing. Well, Josh, I'll also say it's important because, you know, part of the portfolio is not only the Air Force, but it's also the Space Force. And as you know, last week, uh, the Space Force announced they were moving forward with their holistic health policy because guardians have different types of missions than airmen do in, in some key respects. And in order to maintain uh, physical fitness, which is the purpose of the test, uh, it's not job related necessarily. They're moving to a system where you can now volunteer for a study that will allow you to get a, a tracker watch, which will monitor your physical fitness and how often you do it, not only once every six months or once every year if you score well, but year round. And so I wanted to understand what the Air Force test comprises in order to get a better sense of how we might have guardians advantaged by use of the uh, holistic health assessment. Now, this is a voluntary program. Uh, no guardian is going to be forced uh, to get a uh, to get a tracker watch, but um, but I'm excited about it, and I'm hoping to get one because I'm looking to maintain my fitness all year round, not only uh, before a beach holiday weekend. And so, even this though this so coincided with that, so it worked out pretty well for me. The innovation. Uh that that i'm seeing in the the space force and the air force just taking these new ideas and, and running with it because it makes sense you know that for someone who's been in 19 years i love seeing that because i know it's needed now more than ever so i i love where that's going and i can't wait to to see how that plays out last gauntlet question here what is the strangest thing you oversee within your portfolio hmm well I deal with a lot of obscure personnel issues, people getting into trouble in weird ways, but I think that was kind of baked in to what I thought I'd be getting into because I've had a little bit of experience with uh, people issues from my time uh, working for the Secretary of the Army. But I'll say that when I was preparing for my confirmation hearing, they briefed me on something that was definitely not intuitive. Um, for for some reason, which I actually now know, the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Manpower and Reserve Affairs has been delegated uh, from the Secretary of Defense to the Secretary of the Air Force to me as the federal government's executive agent for the National Science Foundation's polar program. So the programs at the North Pole and the South Pole, which involve NSF research, uh, scientific activities, there's got to be a way to get the people, the food, and the equipment into these extremely remote and often very harsh environments. And the Air Force is responsible for that. But because of the Antarctic Treaty and because of some of our international legal obligations, they didn't want it to be a military mission. And so as a result, they gave it to a civilian <laughs> to oversee. Nice. So uh, being a Los Angelino, 
there is definitely something about an average daily temperature at the South Pole of negative 60 degrees. That's that, unreal. That's going to be new for me. Right. But, but earlier this year, I got to go up with the chief of space operations to the base formerly known as Thule. It's now called Bitufik up at uh, the top of Greenland. And that was a cool negative 39 with the wind chill, which I realized at negative 39, it's the same Celsius and Fahrenheit. Oh, I know that. Uh, Interesting. And so I think if I can deal with negative 39, negative 60 relatively won't be too bad. So I'm looking forward to heading down there and talking about the unbelievably unique mission, which is principally uh, run by the National Guard uh, on C7 LC-130s, which have skis on the bottom because not wow. only, you know, if the, if the runway was ice, you could land there because it'd be pretty hard. But sometimes in the warmer months, their summer or winter, it melts a little bit. And so because of that melt, you land on skis on the bottom of the LC-130s. And so that's going to be an experience I have, I have not done yet. And it allows me to tell a great story about the reserve component and how it's an operational reserve in the Air Force, not just a strategic reserve. No, absolutely. I, I worked with plenty of uh, reservists, you know, during my time, especially in Honor Guard, who served as the the continuity that I needed. Uh, so I've leaned on many guardsmen, uh, many reservists, and yeah, they're just phenomenal people, super talented people. Um, and yes, I'm excited for you too. I've I've I don't know much about those missions. I gotta say, um, but I do know in the cold climates, it's a totally different world and a totally different approach. When I was maintenance, this is way back in the day, I got to go to Alaska for the red flag exercise, and all their age equipment, all their maintenance stuff was indoors. And then we had to de-ice the aircraft wings, and that's super challenging and loud and. It's just a whole different world of challenges out there. Uh, so I think it's going to be a, an eye-opening experience for you. Stay warm. My friends say, take pictures of the penguins. And I say, but not at the South Pole, because at the pole itself, it's almost too cold for anything to live. Wow. Penguins you know, are, are at the edge of Antarctica that you fly into first. Gotcha. Wow. I didn't You're realize going- that. I mean, so, so again, I love these trips because it's not travel for the sake of travel. It's travel to tell stories of missions of the Air Force and the Space Force that the American people just don't know. And we've got such an incredible mission. We have such an incredible story. And the people that support it are really our strategic advantage. And so that's what I want to experience, to hear from them what works, what's not working so well, and what we can fix. I love that. And I'm a storyteller myself and I'm a fan of storytellers. So I think it captures history. I think it spreads a positive message. It makes people proud of what they're doing. Um, so keep keep going. We need more of that. Uh, and speaking of um, folks who aren't familiar with things, you talked about being on stage um, where you thought that people weren't familiar with MR affairs or what that entails. You were You were saying, you know, some folks might even be Googling you in the moment to see who you were and what that role is. And I'm going to be honest, I started learning about that role through this conversation, through finding out who you were, the incredible things you've done. And I want I want you to be known by everyone and what you do, because I think it's amazing. And so I was hoping you could kind of run us through the MR portfolio and uh, the role of a political appointee versus a military member. 
everything that's controversial and anything can go wrong often lands uh, on my desk or on my shoulders, which is part of the fun of the job. Um, I like to describe the portfolio as getting kindergartners interested in STEM. To a couple months ago, I had to sign off on a promotion from a two-star to a three-star general who had been deceased for 50 years. Oh, and wow. Everything in between uh, would fall into the people portfolio. If, if I were talking to the private sector, I'd say, I'm kind of like the chief human resource officer of the Air Force and the Space Force. Recruiting, retention, quality of life, promotions, discipline, talent management, diversity, equity, inclusion, sexual assault, harassment, childcare, food security, all these things that you wow. see in the headlines of things that are not working exactly right come onto my plate at some point in time. Military discipline. Uh, every week I get uh, promotion proprietary actions, whether or not someone should be removed from the promotion list and have to make a recommendation to the secretary based on the inputs of the general counsel of the A1 and let the secretary and uh, the chiefs of staff know where they might fall. Medical waivers, particularly for unusual conditions. Should we commission someone? Should we not? The entire Air Force Academy and all of their affairs technically fall under uh, the MR portfolio. And so sometimes I, I don't feel like I'm a, a college president because we've got a fantastic superintendent out there right now and he has a really great team but anything that he needs a little bit of top cover on i often get called uh to fill in the gap rotc jrotc the first uh oversight hearing i had i had to testify on sexual abuse allegations and uh and challenges that the new york times exposed at jrotc and of course anytime anything goes wrong the professional staff members on the Hill and the members of Congress want someone to yell at. And so I'm a pretty good punching bag for all of that. And I think that's, that's why uh, they can do that because I am a political appointee because I'm in the position to represent, you know, the president of the United States, the secretary of defense and the secretary of the air forces equities and defend their policies and budgets. And so I'm incredibly proud and humbled to do that. I am very comfortable in all of my previous roles being the guy behind the guy. And so I'm growing into and becoming uh, more comfortable, but I'm not there yet with being a principal. And so this is a, a real challenge for me to be seen as the person responsible rather than the one tweaking things, getting the perfect talking point, writing the right speech, engineering the right type of event, and then pushing someone forward and saying, all right, it's all the table set. All you got to do is eat the meal. So that's the tension that I'm uh, that I'm faced with almost on a daily basis that people are now looking to me instead of me teeing someone else for success. Wow. I, I mean, you, you had to stop counting on your hands and you had to start over. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad like, there's a video so people can see that then. Right. You were just built different to, to take all that on that. That is tremendous. Um, and, you know, I always think I'm I'm like overwhelmed or busy and then I hear or talk with someone like you and it, and it really puts things in perspective. 
Now, but um, just, just say, you know, it's not me alone. I have an incredible team here in SAFMR. I have unbelievable partnerships with the A1, the S1, the general counsel, the surgeon general, uh, the JA. I mean, we, we are just a really finely tuned, highly operating machine. We like each other personally, which helps uh, with the SIMSAF and the SIMSIF. Uh, and I think it's those personal relationships, which makes the hard issues less hard. Uh, and that we can really be focused on how to make a difference in the lives of airmen and guardians every single day, make their service better, enhance their quality of life, make sure their families are taken care of so they can actually focus on their mission. And that, and that I'm so proud, incredibly proud to, to help facilitate that. 100%. And your team is amazing that, you know, who I work with, with help set this up. They're just in very good communicators, very thorough, just amazing people. So I want to also give them a shout out. Um, and it's funny that you said you're you're kind of like the punching bag. So I can relate with that. Um, because my current career field uh, is public health. And as you know, there is a pandemic, right? And I learned real quickly, you can't punch the pandemic, right? <laughs> you can't you can't hurt that and so we became that spokesperson uh and you have to you have to learn to become a very good communicator uh you have to keep your cool um and there's a lot of of skills and talents that go into holding a role like that that i was able to also learn myself and i think it's made me uh, a much better leader on the back end for sure so i what i say all that just to tell you that uh i sympathize with you and i know how that feels uh and i thank you for taking all that on for us. Well, let me thank you. Um, the, the Department of the Air Force's record on mitigating and uh, overcoming COVID-19 is really something that I'm incredibly proud of. And I did not start, uh, I was not in the seat at the beginning of it, but we were able to vaccinate 98% of the, our total force uh, 99% of the active component, which was not only a normative good, but it allowed us to go into cities and supplement their public health efforts because our people were vaccinated. It allowed us to provide support for uh, local vaccination efforts. Uh, it allowed us to, to do things and to maintain our operational readiness through one of the most trying times in recent memory. And less than a handful of REGAF and just under 15 total force members lost their lives given our 500,000 uh, or so total force uh, excluding civilians, which is an unbelievable record of accomplishment given what else was going on in the country. And so your efforts and our communication efforts and all of that was integral to making sure we were able to support the nation at the same time maintain our readiness. So thank you. Thank you. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to roll on to our next topic here, which is, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, but there's a lot of policies uh, for airmen and guardians that you have a hand in, right? Um, first term airmen retraining change, non-covered re reproductive health care, military parental leave program, flying while pregnant, reproductive health, so you have just this tremendous oversight of all these initiatives. And I was wondering if, if you'd like to speak on any of those. I think one of uh, the, the challenges, and you asked me about the difference being a political appointee. So I'm pretty comfortable talking about things that are considered political 
even though in this role, it, it really doesn't feel political. And uh, on that, I, I, I do want to say a word about uh, the Department of Defenses, because it's not just the Air Force and the Space Force, uh, new policies on reproductive health. So the battlefield, for lack of a better term, that had been relatively consistent for the last 50 years changed last summer. And unlike private employers, where um, they're in one place, and if people want to want to work for them, they can move to that place. They can work remotely. In the military, while you have some choice about where you live, you don't have a complete choice. And with the Dobbs decision uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, it placed a um, a real challenge on some of our service members who had thought that this was the status quo, and all of a sudden the status quo changed. And so the department writ large had a look at how we take care of not only uh, women in uniform, but also their dependents and people that love them. And we had to look at policies that, that made within the bounds of the law, um, personal decisions over full scope reproductive health, which includes pregnancy termination, but it can include IVF and, um, and a whole range of other types of procedures. Uh, those were considered non-covered under TRICARE. How do we shift the burden of cost away from the service member and onto the Air Force? And the reason why we did this was because we understood that people are gonna make decisions that are best for themselves and their families and putting them in a position to have to choose between their career and their families and themselves is not a position we wanted to be in. And so we offered two new types of leave. One, administrative leave. If you want to have a reproductive health procedure in the local community, uh, you could get administrative leave, which would be non-chargeable. Uh, and there would be a presumption that you could take that uh, for a certain amount of days. In some cases, you might have to travel and spend several nights uh, away from your duty location because that re reproductive health procedure wasn't available or accessible within the local area. And in those cases, the department would will now be able to put you on TDY orders if the procedure is for yourself or if the procedure is for a dependent or, or if you want to act as a caregiver to someone else. And so the thing that that does is it just shifts the cost away from the member who is probably going to make that exact decision anyway and takes it on to the department. I recognize that this is an area of considerable uh, debate and concern, but from and political debate in particular. But from this portfolio, it doesn't feel political because my goal and my focus is how do we take care of the people in uniform and the people that they love and the people that love them. And this was a small but significant step in that direction. No, I think that when you said you don't want them to be put in a position to choose between their service or their family, I never thought of it like that. I've, I've never heard it said that way. And I think that was just uh, a really eye-opening way of putting that, that situation and how you and your chair have to see that differently than a lot of the politics uh, go on how they see it. You have a much different responsibility for our service members well-being and keeping them in the service uh and doing and taking those steps to help them stay in the service right so I, i've seen a lot of leave changes come down like with 
with like the the stuff that you were mentioning with the reproductive health but also like the the maternity leave how that was extended for the mother how that was ex then extended for the father i mean i had kids later in life i have a five-year-old and a almost four-year-old um and i can't tell you how thankful i was to like have that extra time you know what i mean like it's one thing for me to just critique, you know, pass judgment on someone for taking X amount of leave, but then to like go through it as a parent and to see how important um, that relationship is from the parent to the children and that we were given that extra time. I mean, that was tremendous for us and our families. And, and I I'd, I'd just say that every day I strive to make sure that the military writ large, but, you know, the Air Force and Space Force in particular, does everything we can to remain an employer of choice. Right now, we're in an economy with record low unemployment, 3.3, 3.4%, unheard of in my lifetime. At the same time, private sector wage growth is, is off the charts. And so if you want to leave, you can probably find a job. And what's new is it's probably going to be a pretty good paying one. I think people want to stay. And so what I want to do is pull away those artificial barriers, the things that might have made sense for a different era. Maybe families looked a little different when some of those policies were put into place and say, what do we need right now to make sure that people can serve to their full potential? The people who care about service, who want to do this, who are challenged by the mission, feel like they have everything possible at their disposal to make their quality of service at the level that they want to, they want to stay. We we've got a we've got a pretty unique service with the Air Force and the Space Force where retention is integral to mission performance. Some of the other services they focus on the first term or maybe maintaining someone for two terms of enlistment. But given the exquisite, unbelievable technologies that our members work on. I want to maintain that expertise in the service. I want to do everything possible to make sure that people who want to stay don't have to make that choice between their families, between their career, and between uh, a job that they love. No, I love that. I think that's beautifully said. And, you know, we all joined for purpose. We That's what we all have in common. We have that strong purpose. Um, and I've that's what kept me in was that purpose and and that mentorship the experiences that I've had with deployments and all the many career fields that I've held. I mean, that purpose has been strong in me and, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that we're going to keep that torch lit and pass that on to the generations behind us. Oh, Josh, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> no, you're, you're doing it. You know, so, sometimes it's, it's hard to convince and it's not the people, but it's an institution that has very good reasons and regulations for doing something one way to shift course. And so you don't do it, you know, by fiat, you don't do it because I said so. You start to build consensus and you have conversations. And so that's why some of these things just feel so slow. But the value to the process means it sticks once people like me are gone. And it sticks because people are then invested in it. And so that's that's what I try to do every day. Build policies build processes, empower people. So when I'm out of this job at the end of whenever this administration uh, exits stage left, those people will rely on those policies. There will be institutional buy-in and a future administration 
who might not love it will take a look at it and say, gosh, it'd be really hard to dig in and uproot all of that. So I'm going to just focus somewhere else and use my limited political capital on this over there. You're just building that foundation. If it works and people are invested in it, it'll be safe. That's the goal. 100. Sir, uh, we got a little bit of time left, and I wanted to talk a little bit about you. And your team said, hey, you know, he's all about the Airmen and Guardians. You know, good luck. But guess what? This is your show. This is <laughs> Mr. Wagner's Hero Front episode. So <laughs> I did save the tiniest chunk to talk about you. And what I was hoping to hear from you um, was the best business practices uh, in the LGBTQ plus and equality communities uh, and your thoughts on being a gay man in the position that you are today. Well, uh, I, I got to say, Josh, I'm so lucky. I feel like after I came out, doors opened for me that would have never been open for me if I weren't gay. And I was able to be a part of a community and have support from friends all over the world, some of whom I didn't even know, uh, but I was linked up with through other people. I, I always felt like if I could have taken a pill and been straight, I would have taken that pill before somebody asked the question. And after coming out and being a part of this larger community, it was a no-brainer. I would have pushed that pill to the side. Um, I, I feel like whether it was winning the minority fellowship at my law firm, whether it's being recruited on the first Obama campaign to work on LGBT outreach, even though I didn't have a lot of background in it, whether it's uh, being asked to teach uh, the LGBT civil rights law class at Georgetown Law for seven years uh, as a result of that campaign experience, or whether it was my first appointment here at the Department of Defense working on nuclear and missile non-proliferation issues, I feel like being gay helped open the door to get me in there. And of course, in that first appointment, I showed up before repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And to this day, uh, I feel like I, I'm just so privileged to work at a place like this, where even back then, everybody was so unbelievably professional in this environment that I could bring my full self, and sometimes it's a lot, uh, to the work, to the mission every day. And what I wanted to do is make sure that everybody else feels like they can be exactly who they are and talk about what they do on the weekends and talk about the people they love and put photos on their desks of their families and their friends and have those full conversations. So at the end of the day, people get to know you, you build a sense of a team, you have a professional community, and then you can be focused on the mission and you don't have to lead these double lives. Um, it, is, it is odd being back here as now, you know, later this week kicks off Pride Month. And I remember about 12 years ago when after uh, repeal had ended, I and a couple of buddies here started to plan how we were going to have the first Pride event in the Pentagon, believing that if you could have a Pride event here, you could change the culture and make it more inclusive. And if you could have it here, you could have it at any installation throughout the Department of Defense. Uh, I think it was just so cool uh, seeing Pride events happen here and everywhere else. Every single year, 
since 2012 uh, because there was buy-in, because people understood the value of it, and because the military community rallied around people who had long been told, you don't have the right to serve, or if you do serve, you can't talk about who you are. And then as soon as repeal ended, it was a non-issue. I am sick about talking about repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I want to talk about taking care of service members' families and dependents. I want to make sure that everybody can bring them full, their full self to work. I'm so excited to finally not be the planner, but as we talked about before, be uh, one of the speakers at the Department of Air Force Pride event later this month. And I think this is the most important thing. When, when he came out, uh, the CEO of Apple Tim Cook said, being gay has given me a window into what it's like to be a minority in America. And it's made me a more empathetic and a more sensitive person. And so every time I walk into a room, you know, as a, you know, as a white male, I think about who else is in the room and who's not in the room and whose voices need to be championed in ways that I can do by virtue of me being in the room. Uh, to open up opportunities for them to be sensitive to concerns that I might not have been necessarily sensitive before, to think about perspectives that I, I haven't been trained to think about, but to be doing so intentionally. And I think that is really the advantage for diversity and inclusion here. You know, when you create an inclusive environment where everyone feels comfortable bringing their best ideas to the table, you get better outcomes. And that's actually what I really care about. I care about the mission. I care about readiness. I care about outcomes. I care about taking care of people. And if I can leverage the fact that I might not be the majority in the room, but I can cover. So if I can represent those people who aren't there uh, effectively, I think we're going to have a better Air Force, a more lethal Space Force, and a better Department of Defense to bring voices into the room, to have better conversations, to have better problem-solving abilities, and to affect our mission. That's why we're all here, right? Definitely. Uh, mission. And I, we just had our, our first large uh, DE&I committee meeting at the Med Group here, and it was a tremendous outpouring. Like, clearly, people care about this. Uh, we had amazing guest speakers, and you could just feel the love in, in the connectiveness in the room. Um, so I think, uh, you know, when you see someone as their true natural self, they're not hiding anything. They're not trying to be something they're not. That's a beautiful thing to see in somebody. Um, and so that getting that best self out of all of us is truly how we're going to get to the next level together. So I, I think you just have an incredible story. I'm super proud of you for, for coming out um, and, and just being that voice for so many. I'm personally proud of you, and I want to tell you thank you for that. Thank you for leading the way uh, for all of us and so many people who felt like they couldn't be that voice. Um, and I want to also thank you, sir, for spending time with me and Team Hero Front and all of our listeners today. We're super honored to have you, sir. So I just wanted to, as we come to a close, I just wanted to tell you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, uh, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. As my team knows, we could probably talk for another hour. What, what I'll say is I can't wait to 
to come down and uh, see you in person, and maybe we can continue the conversation there. But really, uh, just telling the story of Airmen and Guardians, all the incredible things they do, their sacrifices, the benefits to their dependents that service can create, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, getting these personal experiences so I can tell the, their story. I can tell the story of the Air Force and Space Force to the American people who I feel are increasingly isolated from an understanding of who protects them and their role as the protected. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, uh, meeting people, hearing their problems, finding them solutions, uh, and engendering a, a spirit of service, whether it's in the military, it's in your community, it's service in government. This is something I'm very passionate about, and I'm looking forward to continuing to try to build bridges between people. Absolutely. And we're, we're super blessed to have you. Thank you so much. And for everyone that's listening, thank you for tuning in. This was the hero's journey of the Honorable Alex Wagner. <laughs> and we're out. 